Blog Talk Radio. On today's Mom Eleven Show, it's a free form Friday, and I'm on location in Middletown, Rhode Island. We're going to talk about teaching and being a teacher in response to some student questions. We'll answer a bunch more student questions as well. We'll wrap it up with an idiom for period C and D and a dad joke, and of course, talk about today's journal entry. Today's Mom Eleven Show is brought to you by the Proactive Funeral Home. You want to have Uncle Mort's funeral on a certain day to fit your schedule? The Proactive Funeral Home is there for all your predetermined needs. Let's go. All right. Good morning, everybody, and happy Friday to the Mama Levitt Show with everyone else. Season 1, Episode 28, Take 2. So we had a couple of technical difficulties at the 9 o'clock show or here at 9.30. Also, so I, I pre-recorded that intro a few days ago while I was in Everett, and I, I thought today I would be in Middletown, Rhode Island. I'm not. I'm actually in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. So I've already lied to people once today, actually twice. <laughs> We'll count it. We'll we'll call it even. Um, It's May 29th. It's week 11. It's school day 49, which is which means we've lost over an entire quarter of school to coronavirus. And it's overall day 78 of coronation. Remind you can subscribe to the Mama Levitt show on iTunes or Spotify. Good morning, Mama Levitt. How are you doing today? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Miss Mara, how are you? Oh, it's Friday, so. There's a special feeling about Friday. <laughs> special, yeah, special feeling, absolutely. I mean, Friday, Fridays don't feel the same as they did before, but there's still you got to keep some kind of a of a feeling. This was supposed to be my. I was supposed to be going up today out to Worcester to go to go to my college and you know relive the glory days, but alas, it is not. It was not meant to be, and I'll have to wait another five years for that. Not, not that I was like really like desperate to go, but it's usually pretty fun. Um, we got one birthday for today that we can. Uh, she's not. It's it's today's show, but it's not today's birthday on Sunday. On Sunday, Annabelle is fourteen. So happy birthday, Annabelle. Happy birthday to Annabelle, turned 14 on Sunday. Uh, Happy birthday. May 31st, right. Um, so I printed out the I really birthday. like the new music, mm-hmm. Mr. McGowan. Just want to let you yep. know. I like it, too. Me it's, too. It's, it's, it's upbeat. It's it's positive. You know, it's Disney. It's, you know, we, we got to get bring to it. <laughs> yeah, we got to bring Disney some love. Wait, you don't like the, 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 the Paul McCartney Beatles song about um, it's your birthday. It's Happy birthday so to you. Awful. <laughs> it's, 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 it's definitely the worst Beatles song ever recorded. It might be the worst song ever recorded. It's, it's, in run, it's in the running for that. I think a birthday song, I think like especially, I don't know, like like a shout out like this birthdays. I like it. It's just got, you know, that I want to sing with it. That's good. It's got a good vibe. You, you, you should sing along. Sometimes at the end of the show when I play the closing song after you guys have uh, have, have hung up, Sometimes I sing along with the with the music. Uh, anyway, 
So happy birthday, Annabelle, on Sunday. Um, next, so since we only have a couple more weeks left of the Mama Levitt Show season one, um, I printed out all the student birthdays for June, July, and August. So we can do some shout outs. You know, the, the August birthdays, I know for a fact, because I was one myself, or am one, but when I was in school, um, you know, you never get that a day of actually like being in school and having like your having your friends say happy birthday or you know like we like as they tend to do in the cafe is you know sing happy birthday to each other which is really obnoxious not as obnoxious as screaming when the lights go out but the, the happy birthday is there too <laughs> all right let's let's go we got a bunch of student questions today and a lot of them had the kind of theme of of teaching um but let's get speaking of music let's get right into today's journal entry um, for Friday, and it's about music, and the text talks a lot about music, especially in the Isabel chapters, and kind of reflects the importance of music in Cuban culture and identity, and one of the things that gets brought out in the story is Isabel's grandfather tells her about, you know, if she stays in Havana, she'll be able to count clave, and it's not really a concept that I really get. Miss Marek, did you understand the concept of clave? Something about rhythm or? Yeah, that's all I kind of got is that it's just some special special type of rhythm that's only, or it seems like it's only particular to Cuban music. So yeah, I think that's why so, we don't really get it because we haven't really experienced that. Right. It's something that's it's sort of like a part of like Cuban like identity in there. And it's something that, you know, me as a, as a, as a gringo, as they say, would, would never be able to really truly, un, truly understand. Um, but it's here's their the sound. Yeah. It's, 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 like a, it's their it's sound. A like when I listen like to sound. Cuban music, it's very distinctive to the Cuban music. Yeah. And they describe it in the book as, as like there's some sort of like a, like a rhythm that you, that you can only hear. Like, like, so Isabella can't hear it. Like she's, she's, she can't count clave, she says. And that's one of the things like, like the grandfather warns her, you know, if you go to the United, to, to the United States, you'll never be able to count clave. You're going to, you're going to lose your heritage. And then, then the mother like yells at her dad and says, Oh, Poppy, Miami is just North Cuba, you know? And so not to spoil, but you know, towards the end of the book, when Isabella starts to like think about her life is as a song and how like a song progresses and this clip of me reading from chapter 26 talks a little bit about that. So let's, I'll, I'll play the clip for you about music as being like the song of someone's life. I miss her, Isabel told her grandfather. I miss her too, Lito said. Every day. Real tears came into Isabel's eyes now and Lito hugged her tighter. That was her song's end, Lito whispered. But ours plays on. Come. Keep bailing, or soon it'll be up to our eyeballs. Isabel nodded and went back to scooping water. What if her life was a song? No, not a song. A life was a symphony with different movements and complicated musical forms. A song was something shorter, a smaller piece of life. This journey was a song, Isabel realized, a son cubano, and each part of it was a verse. The first verse had been the riot, a blast of trumpets, the rat-a-tat-tat of a snare drum, then the pre-chorus of trading her trumpet for gasoline, the piano that gave the song its rhythm, and then the chorus itself, leaving home. They were still leaving home, still hadn't gotten to where they were going. They would return to the chorus again and again before they were done. But what was the refrain? And how many more verses would there be before they got to the climax of the song, that brash moment at the end of a song cubano that echoed the refrain, and then the coda, those brief few notes that tied it all together. She couldn't think about that now. All she could do now was scoop water, scoop water and pray they didn't drown in the mad conga solo that drummed against the side of their tiny metal boat. Miss Mar, what was yeah, your reaction? To yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you want to talk about that a little bit? I, well, I loved it for like a couple of different angles as the teaching side of me. I loved like all the metaphors to, you know, to be able to say like, how, what is this comparing it to? Or why is this a comparison to, you know, a song? And just like personally, I just, music, I love the idea. I truly feel like a good, a good song or a good symphony takes me on like an emotional journey. Like it takes me from one emotion to another. And I just really liked 
how how the author did that. Yeah, it's just a great passage of of metaphors, and I love how she goes into about is it a song or is it a symphony, you know? And then one thing, so you know, one thing that students you can write about in your journal for today is about music and about the idea, like you know, is life a song? Is life a symphony? And if it's a symphony, kind of what does that mean? Um, another question that you can look at is what kind of what kind of role does music have in your life? Like I like what Miss Marriage just said about it kind of like takes you on a different sort of like emotional plane. Miss um, Levitt, your thoughts on music, what and role of music in, in your life? And then we'll get to Mr. Jaffe's thoughts. <laughs> um, I, I'm not a huge music person. I, when I do like music and the music I like, it's because it makes me feel something. Yeah. If it doesn't make me feel something, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's nice, you know, for the moment or whatever. But the, the music that, like, resonates that stays with me forever that I, I tend to go back to is, you know, it's kind of like Miss um, Mara said, like, a good symphony. Um, it took me, though, I have to admit, it was a music theory class I had taken um, when I was at Savannah College of Art and Design um, it, to teach me how to listen to the music, to hear the sounds, because I just naturally – I naturally don't hear sounds like that. I have a hard time with it, with sound. And so, like, when I started to hear it, I had a greater appreciation for um, music and what, how it affects you, like, when you, when you listen to it, more so than pop music. But, yeah, it, it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mr. McGowan, are you there? Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I think I my parents' dog started to have a. I don't know if you heard the dogs in I, the background. The I dog feel started like that to have. Way with music. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Talk no, about I said the dog started to have a little <laughs> musical symphony of their own, barking at each other. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Miss Mara. I, I think music's so cool for so many reasons. Um, I remember reading an article one time because I was like, "What is it about music that like just does when I'm having a rough day or like really just." in the depths of despair, or even if I'm just like super happy, nothing can hit me in my emotional core like music. So I remember like I looked up a, uh, an article once and they don't really know exactly what it is. Like they ha- they've obviously done lots of research on the brain and like how it affects us, but there's like a mystery to it that, that nobody quite knows. Um, if you know what, what it is about music that, that kind of, get to that center of us like it does i mean i have my own theories of course being the resident mystic but um (laughs) nothing like listening to a song that taps into whatever emotions you're feeling you know no amount of therapy no amount of like somebody consoling you there's just something about listening to a song where you can relate to it that like heals it's amazing yeah and for me too i I like to think a lot of times like i'll you'll hear a song on the radio or you hear a song and it'll associate certain music with certain like times of your life or certain eras of your life or certain people in your life. And so you'll hear a song and instantly you're like transported back in your brain to like, I don't uh-huh. know, like when I was in high school or like, this is when like, or you hear a song, Oh, they played this at my wedding or, you know, whatever. And it's, it's amazing. And like smells are like that too. Smell I think is the most like potent in terms of memory uh-huh. and like uh-huh. getting into your memory, but music has the same kind of like I'll go through like um, I'll hear every time I anytime I smell like like gas cooking I just I just think I'm back in like my grandmother's house you know or I'll hear a certain song like last night we were playing trivia and some some of the one of the categories was these like TV theme songs and like you hear these songs from like these like 1980s sitcoms and instantly I'm like transported back to like being like eight years old and like watching Growing Pains or whatever. Um, Mr. Jaffe, good morning and welcome to the show. Oh, good morning, today? everybody. Good, good morning, Mr. Jaffe. Hi, hi, Ms. Marana. Hi, Ms. Levitt. How, how are you? But, uh, Mr. Everybody's Jaffe, do you want to add that. something that we're, t- yeah, we're, we're talking uh, about? Yeah, I was hoping you would forget about asking me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I like listening to music. I think that's about it. It's just, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not so profound about this. It's funny because my mother... And her sisters, my aunts, like were incredibly musical, and that her, she came from a very musical family. They all played instruments, and piano, and trumpets, and saxophones. And my mother had a really like an operatic voice, and so did her sisters. And uh, I don't know, it just never got passed on to me. 
I used to go to the years ago. Boston had an um, had a uh, opera company, and um, uh, I used to go as a, a kid with my mother and my aunts, and I go to the opera, and I couldn't wait to like leave. <laughs> it was so boring. <laughs> and I never got it. I, but um, I guess move, music does move people, but yeah. I don't know. I, it doesn't move everyone, Mr. Jaffe. I'm like I'm, I know. I'm sorry. I'm the same, but I'm the same way. Like it, I mean, like there's some stuff that makes you feel and it brings back, but like it's not something that I ever got into. It was like my brothers love it. They're so into music. They play it all the time. My husband loves it. He plays it all the time. And the only reason I know a lot about it is because of my husband and my brothers. Otherwise, because it's not something that I would, you know passionate about it all <laughs> love it dear, dear right, brother. Right. yeah we yeah i i you know i i've been to symphony i've seen symphonies and live they're mm-hmm. really nice and i think they're awesome but i yeah. i wouldn't play a record i wouldn't sit there and listen to it but going to a live <laughs> performance is great yeah that's kind of me love it your <laughs> brothers um are they musicians like do they create music or they just enjoy listening um, no well I had two brothers that played um, musical instruments. My youngest brother actually played several instruments and is very um, talented in music. Well, he's kind of gifted in everything. He's a Renaissance kid. But um, he's music, yeah, and he used to compose music and things like that. So my brother's mm-hmm. like, my youngest brother definitely. Uh, my brother, he's he's just gifted in all areas of different facets of talent. So, um, but yeah, my brother Dennis, He's he's kind of like me. Like he likes music. He puts it on, listens to it. I don't know how much he hears the sounds, like I do. And I think going with opera and stuff like that, he's not a huge, um, or like symphonies and stuff. Like that's not his forte. I know I played classical music for my kids when they were babies through childhood. Like that's how I put them to sleep at night. I just always put the classical channel on, so um, they tend to like like it they still find it very soothing to them when they hear classical music so i used to play the the zach brown band for michaela when she was in uh in jen's belly playing mozart makes the kids smarter <laughs> maybe yeah they do say that they say listening they to classical be. music at a young age i think it's because of all the different patterns with, yeah and like, and like the, the, yeah, the way that the patterns form in the kids' brains and their in their neurological makeup and, and things is, like that. Musical is very mathematical. Absolutely. Lot there's a lot to it. That's math. Yes. You know, and uh, and the people that you know when I was learning how to play the drums, well, I am learning. But when I was first learning to play the drums, you know, you talk about like quarter notes and half notes and eighth notes, and it's all it there's there's a lot of of you know the way that they're divided and the way they're added up and like just the rhythm of how it, it all gets together. So yeah, you got to know your math to to know music. I know some of our students are like really into music, and so and music is also like I think for a lot of people it forms their identity. I remember when I was a kid, this might be less true now, but maybe there's other things. But when I was a kid, like kids would group themselves as to like what music they listen to. You know, like oh these kids were into these kids were into the heavy metal eighties bands and, you know, these kids, they like the hip hop, you know? So it's like, what, what bands you liked or what groups you liked? That was a huge part of like your identity. I remember in the, in the outsiders, it talks about that's one of the big differences between the socias and the greasers. Now the socias liked the Beatles and the greasers liked Elvis Presley, you know? And, and, and then all the, and the, then there's something about the Hank Williams and the, the country rednecks listened to Hank Williams. And that made the greasers like, like recoil and horror. So interesting things about, <laughs> about music. So just to, just to, just to refresh your journal entry for today is about music, about, um, do you think life is a song or a symphony or do you like that metaphor? You can write about that a little bit. What role does music have in your life? Um, and another question, the last question that you might help you is, do you think music helps people through life or does music help people in certain areas of life? And if so, just explain. You might want to talk about like ways that music has affected you or things that you think about music in general, creating music, listening to music, music as being a form of your identity. And that's, it's an interesting little concept. So think about Isabel and the whole concept of music and clave and her trumpet and how she had to sell her trumpet. She gave up her most prized possession to get gasoline for her family's boat to go across the Straits of Florida. All right, quick commercial break. 
from the proactive funeral home, and then we'll come back and we'll do student questions and everything else. <laughs> At other funeral homes, prearrangement or pre-planning of a funeral means getting all that coffin and flower crap out of the way sometime before Uncle Merle eventually kicks off. At the proactive funeral home, sure, we do all those services too, but with one major difference. We plan Uncle Merle's funeral date to your liking. Catch my meaning? We make sure Uncle Merle's funeral happens when you want Uncle Merle's funeral to happen. That's the proactive funeral home where we make accidents happen to the people you want the accidents to happen to. This has been a presentation from Tim Morgan's APAC Studio. For more almost professional amateur comic studio content, visit the APAC YouTube channel. Search APAC... All right, back on the Mom Eleven show on Friday, May 29th. Going our last show of May. We, we sh- when we meet on Monday, it'll be June 1st. So we're plowing through the calendar here. Um, a few a few questions left for this week from students, and I on Wednesday we hammered out a lot of like the shorter ones. So I left some of the ones for today for this week that are a little bit more thematic. So we're going to focus more on three questions, one from Dennis, one from Trinity, and one from Lily. And we'll start with Dennis's question, which says, is there anything you wish you can teach but can't? Is there anything you wish you can teach but can't? And I want to think, Mr. Jaffe, you're, as, our, as our science teacher, is there anything you wish you could teach but can't? I know there's a lot you go over you in your know, science I, I wish I could do a, like a little robotics program for eighth grade. Uh, not that that's everybody's cup of tea, um, that, uh, but um, you know, you just need you need the equipment, and you need the robots, and you need the uh, some of the, the uh, software, and you know, everything costs money, and it's just not not slated to be done for us. So I think it would be great to do it, but um, I can't. Maybe someday. Yeah, the at EHS, you know, they have that robotics club, and they They're do a great program. They're great, yeah, yeah, and they go to like national Fantastic. competitions and things like that. They yeah. win them. They win national competitions. They do really well, and they, yeah, they poured a lot of money into it. And a lot of kids go from there. They've kids have gone to like MIT and WPI and other right. great like engineering, yeah, engineering schools. Um, Ms. Mara, what do you think? Something that you wish you could teach but can't or aren't able um, to in whatever way. Yeah, I would love to do more uh, drama with the kids. Like, I remember a couple of years ago in what, this group that we have now, I did a play, it was like a Greek mythology thing. And I always save that kind of stuff. You know, it's kind of kind of put off to the end of the year as a more like fun activity. And I would like to, I wish I just had a whole year to just really put together something uh special and like that like really worked hard on because I I feel like that culminating performance is such a motivator for kids um Mm -hmm. to read to practice their fluency like just everything involving English language arts goes into it but like there's just so much other stuff we have to teach that I can't give it the time I wish I could yeah would that be so cool to have like a like just a whole thing on drama where I mean not it wouldn't wouldn't be every kid's cup of tea, like Mr. Jaffe said, but a lot of kids would really enjoy it. Like all the years we've done Anne Frank, you always try, I always try to balance it off by having the kids play the roles. Some of the kids are the ones that are like natural, naturally talented, like actors and extroverts and performers. And some of the other ones I like to kind of encourage to get out of their comfort zone a little bit. And it's too bad because when we went on coronation, I was just starting to, put together my list of like who in each class I was going to have play like Anne or play like Mrs. Van Dan. It was the, the, like the, the big yeah. roles in Anne Frank and the ones that would fit kids' personalities. And it's, it, that's, that's one thing I regret about this year. I mean, that's not a really a regret, something I, because we didn't have any control over. But one thing that's, that's too bad about this year is the kids missed out on that. That's usually like when I talk to kids in high school, one of the things that they bring up is, oh, I miss, we did Anne Frank. I miss doing the play. That's one of the things that a lot of the kids, um, they miss a lot. 
I personally, I mean, at the high school, I was very lucky in that I got to teach two electives that were like very like dear to me. I, when I taught, I spent a number of years teaching journalism and then film. And it was amazing. And I, I have relationships with those kids because with the elective classes, it's a, it's, it's a lot different from like your regular classes. They're a lot smaller. Um, you sometimes would have kids for multiple years. Like I had a lot of kids in my film class who were seniors that I had them in English as juniors. So I kind of like recruited them to sign up for the film elective when they were seniors. So when they came back, it's, it was almost like we just sort of picked up where we left off junior year. And it's kind of like when Miss Levitt like looped when she went from seventh to eighth grade. And same thing with journalism. I had, yeah. I had some kids three years. I had a couple kids for four years in journal. They took it as freshmen and they took it all the way through to, to, to senior year. And so you, you develop like a different relationship with the kids. And it's, it's more like, I don't know, it's more like a small family than it is like a class. And that's, that's one thing I definitely miss about having like those electives yeah. and have for like different years. Uh, Mama Levitt, your thoughts. You've taught a lot of different things between, between seventh grade and what eighth grade used to be and now civics. What are your <laughs> thoughts about what you'd want to teach? Um, I, I have to say, I, I, my, I love teaching ancient civilizations um, from the beginning of like growing into a civilization up through um, the Greeks and stuff. I had a lot of fun. Um, it, I love the fact um, when I taught it, there was, I only had to teach X amount of civilizations. So I had a little bit more wiggle room to, to um, teach different skills with it. That made, I mean, the kids used to love it. Um, and I had fun. We could do our projects. We used to try to do like different types of, um, you know, my, I, ha- I was very project based and we did a lot of projects that they had to do for um, assessments. Um, and I really had fun with it. Plus I love, um, I think I also, um, so that was one of the subjects. I don't want to go back and teach seventh grade, no offense, seventh graders, but I, I just don't <laughs> want to go back to the lower. Um, what, do they do? what do they do in seventh grade for history? Is it, right is now it really- it's, Split, it's split now between sixth and seventh grade. So sixth grade begins early civilization um, through, I think, just before the Greeks. And it's and they teach geography at the same time. And then okay. you pick up, um, they, I think they do like the Greeks or something and Romans and stuff and geography up in, in eighth grade. They split the two classes. I, mm-hmm. I got to be honest with you. I always taught geography when I taught history. I never not taught geography and history at the same time. So I, I'm kind of at a loss a little bit. I get the beginning of geography. Like you really have to go over like how to like read maps and, you know, cardinal directions and understand longitude and latitude and stuff like that. But, you know, once that's established and you can, if you can spend a week or two at the beginning of the year doing that, then like, I don't know, like I like just teaching geography. I Kids like it too. It makes them understand the place a lot better. Cause I always, I used to tell them if you understand the geography of an area, you'll understand the history of the people. And, mm-hmm. and it, and it's not so much memorizing things as much as learning. You're actually learning and you can piece together an understanding of the civilizations and, and societies based on geography because it creates culture. Yeah. Do you remember that book? I gave, you remember the book I gave yeah. you a few years ago? I love yeah, that I book. Yeah, I thought I get back to you. <laughs> yeah. You, you still have it. I well, I mean, I've heard it. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. It, I can't remember the title, but something about how, like how, about how geography shapes history you know yeah. like you like for to understand like united states history you have to be able to understand the difference between like say like the north and the south and like just the geography of the north and then the geography of the south and just the way that the land is set up and the way that the economy the way that resulted in the economy mm-hmm. is set up and then why that resulted in conflict between the North and the South. I mean, a lot of that goes on today. I read a lot today about the urban rural divide in America, how like yeah. huge divides in like thinking between it's, it's not as much a red state blue state issue as it is an urban versus rural divide in mm-hmm. America. And just how it's the geography. Of, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. The geography plays a role in your culture and even foreign policy. Like, I think that was one thing, like, I think that book was really good. I think most, I think a lot of people should read it because people think they know foreign policy but they don't understand like why motives of things like if why countries do what they do. Um, yeah, like like access why to did the U- yeah, Why did the U S want to, like, why was Hawaii so important to the United States to have? Like, why did we have oh. to go in 
and we took over Hawaii. Like, why is that an important? They're like that kind of, and like the fact that the U.S. is on the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans, and we have coasts mm-hmm. on both major oceans of the world. That's a huge factor in the development of of, of America. Yeah, and our and our ice and basically being protected um, overall mm-hmm. for many years. Um, I think ideally, I'm just going to go back to like my thing. I think ideally, if so, as far as my 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 subject that I teach, like those are things that I probably would love to teach. I would have loved to have been an art teacher, truth be told. <laughs> I, I feel the same way, Miss Lovett. And teach art. I mean, I when I was going into teaching, they were cutting art programs um, across the country and stuff. They were thinking they were going to do away with them. So I didn't go into back into to work on that degree. And um, I, that is a subject I probably would have enjoyed every day doing as well. I, I like teaching kids that they actually can create more than what they think. I don't know if it would be easy. Probably, I, and I'm not talking elementary level. I would probably want to do a middle school level. or a, I, I like middle school kids so because um, I think that's where the sparks are made. Um, mm-hmm. But I like I probably would have done that in a like a middle school setting where the, you actually had the kids for a semester, not just for a day mm-hmm. once every seven days. Because I don't think you can accomplish anything in that time frame. No, and we've talked about that how we could maybe yeah. fix our schedule to make it more <laughs> make it more efficient. Yeah, you, yeah. Uh, Marin, love it. You guys are you guys are talented artists. You guys can have art class. I'll uh, I'm gonna take a pa- I'll take a hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like, be I like art. I enjoy art. You know. Me creating art, at least at least visual art, not really in uh, my wheelhouse. So, Dennis, thank you for a great question. Dennis has some really good questions. I mean, I wish he would do a little bit more of his work, but at least he at least he puts in some good effort on on this question each week. Uh, Trinity, who's been for me at least, has been doing a great job for your ELA stuff. Um, she asked about what are some common misunderstandings people have about teachers. And I think the first one is that we don't actually live in the school building. <laughs> Wasn't that always <laughs> like, like elementary school kids? Like they were surprised when they saw their teacher like outside. I think it, for me, like yeah, whenever I would see that, yeah, when I would see my teachers like outside in the community, I would be like, I remember one day I was, I stayed home from school sick. And then like later that day I was feeling better. So I went to like my little league baseball game and like my, my, my fifth grade, like science teacher, Mr. Babel was there <laughs> I was just terrified he was going to, like, bust me for, like, not being in school that day. Um, I don't, what do you think, Mr. Jaffe? What are some common misunderstandings people have about, about teachers or, or, um, or, even te- or even the teaching in general as a profession or teachers as people? Yeah, I, I think that people, a lot of people resent, for, for instance, we have a traditional summer vacation. I think that other people kind of scratch their heads and wonder why. And I think that a lot of people think our day ends when the students go home. And that's, I'm sure for all of us, the furthest thing from the truth. Right. Um, as, as I see everybody on this uh, podcast, you know, they're four or five o'clock and they're still in, in they're still there. Teachers are still there. So, yeah, I, I think that a lot of people, you know, think that we, um, our day ends really early and that it's uh it's really easy to teach and it's it's harder and harder all the time to to motivate and engage students i feel yeah love what do you think what are some common misunderstandings do you think people in general have about teachers um i agree with uh, mr jaffe on this statement um and i'm going to add that we work weekends too and yeah, it's absolutely 60 70 hour job week and um we're juggling dealing with emotions, not just having to, you know, teach an, an academic, you know, content or skill. Um, but, you know, we're, we have people that are going through, they're growing. So they're going through those um, developmental steps. So having to sometimes, you know, make sure, you know, watching those things that can be very hard. Um, I think one of the misconceptions they have about teachers is, is we are, we 100% know um, everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, that we're like, like we're these like genius straight A like students <laughs> that we were and that we mastered every subject that we've ever, <laughs> that we teach that we're masters <laughs> of it. Um, and that could be, you know, I always try to tell them like, 
someone who's a master in their subject is a PhD and they're very, they, they will know like astrophysics or they'll know like, um, like my brother's a developmental psychologist, but like they're not necessarily experts in every other subject. <laughs> they may right. have a general understanding of it. And I think sometimes kids, you go in and they're like, how come you don't know the answer? And I'm like, well, I'll get back <laughs> to you. I have to look it up or you can look it up too and tell me. Right. <laughs> You so guys I think noticed, when they realize that you're a human being and not like this yeah. like robot Thomas. that just can just dispense information like the Google machine. <laughs> Do you guys notice how many times you get questions from students about like things like the weather or what's it like outside? Like, I don't know. Like, I've, been inside, yeah, I'm... <laughs> I've been inside since seven o'clock in the morning, just like you have. Or, Mr. McGowan, is, is it going to snow on Thursday? I'm like, I don't know. Am I the freaking meteorologist from Channel 5? Like, I don't know. Like, look at your weather. You know as much as I do. You know, that mm-hmm. always cracks me up. Or, or yeah. to be like, are we going to have school tomorrow? Like, 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 I'm privy to that information, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 13, 14 years old again. And just, yeah, those are some of the things that, for, for me also, like, the, the whole thing about, like, people's, about the calendar, just like gets me the way people be like, Oh yeah, you get your summers off. I'm like, yeah, but while we're working, I I don't think people realize this, how like physically and emotionally like taxing the job of teaching. If you're going to do it it well. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't work. Yeah. Even if you You, don't work over the summer, like you need that break. Like you, you actually probably shouldn't work straight through the summer because you're not going to, it's like parenting, right? Like if you just straight parented 24 hours or like every single day and you didn't take breaks, you'd be a horrible parent. Like you need yeah. to recharge your battery. It's the same thing. A lot of parents are learning but, that right now during uh, while school's being closed. You, know, you, you learn that, you know, you need some time away from your kids. You, you, you both need that and you need to recharge. Um, yeah. Cause it's very of training. Time. Yeah, and it's 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 difficult to know. Like we, if we just went to work and did our our hours that we get paid for, we wouldn't be doing a good job. You know, you, no. we'd be doing terrible. Yeah, there are plenty of jobs where you can just go in and clock in and do the hours, and then you leave, and that's it. But I don't think people understand like how much of our brains are like consumed twenty four seven by like our jobs. I remember my friend Sarah Simmons, who teaches at the high school, said, you know, teaching is not quite a job; it's a lifestyle. And I 100% mm-hmm. yeah. agree with you. Right. Yeah, Mr. Jackson, um, what were you going to say? I cut you off. No, well, if, you see, like, if you're stocking shelves somewhere like at a Costco I've done, or a supermarket, which I've done, there's nothing wrong with that. And when you leave, you don't think you know, those cans don't weigh on your mind at all. But no. when you leave, you know, or, but when you teach and sometimes you say things, you know, it bothers, at least for me, you know, oh, I shouldn't. I wish I had handled it differently. I wish I hadn't said that. Uh, or some other cases, oh, we had, I had a really good day. Everything went well. Um, you know, everything went as, as planned. This was, I really feel good about the day. So other jobs you, you don't give you a chance to reflect. Yeah. But teaching, I think there's always, we're always doing the self-reflection, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, and, or even yearly, you know, how did the year go? How, how's yeah. it going? And I don't think other jobs, people do that or have the ability or the need even to do that. Mr. Jaffe, I worked with a guy once about 20 years ago who had this great quote put in perspective for me and said, the hardest thing about teaching is that you have to simultaneously exist in the past, the present, and the future. <laughs> so it's like right. you have to be, right. so the, you're, you're constantly like in the past, you're constantly like assessing what happened yesterday. You're thinking about it. You're grading papers from yesterday. You're putting in grades. The present, you have to be like in the moment, like teaching and dealing with the students in front of you right now. And you have to be simultaneously mm-hmm. planning on what you're doing tomorrow and what you're doing the week after that and what you're doing the week after that and then the month after that. So it's like it's, uh, it's this constant yeah. like amalgamation of time that goes in all that. Right, right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. A, a, yeah. a good thing about it is that, um, you know, if you're building cars, which are great, or, or buildings, it kind of is, you know, you're doing the same thing all the time. But every year, I think, is different for all of us. And we always yeah. kind of look forward to, you know, that that first day of school for us too, you know, anticipating having a really good year and maybe doing something different or putting a new wrinkle into our instruction. And hopefully it'll, uh, it'll click a little better this year than yeah. it did last year. 
And I, and I know like we as a team, we do that all the time. Like we're constantly tinkering with like our schedule and like our, this, let's do this a little differently. Let's try this. Let's see if this works. Let's, you know, and then now with all this different technology that we're using and let's try to different, even during coronation, I'm seeing the way we've adjusted. Oh, let's try doing this. Let's, oh, let's do this yeah. instead. Let's, and we're, we're constantly just like tinkering with stuff and trying to find the way that works the best. You know, it's not just one answer. We're just trying to find it. Uh, Ms. Mara, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to talk yet. What do you think? Um, anything else you want to add? Um, I think that if there's something, I think the question was like something that people don't know that we do, that we do or something. I took it from a different angle. Like I think kids sometimes come in just expecting that I'm going to do the teaching and they're going to do the learning. And I know it sounds cliche, but it's so true, especially with my population. Like I learn. I look at them as like to learn from because that's where I actually get my best teaching instruction is like learning what makes them tick because usually whatever answer they give, even if it seems like it's out of nowhere, it almost 99.9% of the time has a reason why they're computing a problem one way or the other. And it's like trying to get to that heart of like what makes them tick and like how they learn. So I learn just as much from them and I kind of try to make sure they understand that I give them that respect that like I'm here to learn from them as much as they are to learn from me. And I don't think Mm. they expect that. Like, I think it's kind of takes some kids a while to realize, Oh, like I'm not just here to listen and be told what to do. You know, there's a, there's a cartoon that I used to use like years ago when I was at, when I was at BC and I was working with undergrad, like student teachers. And it it was about how like, what students ex- and it was a, what students expect sometimes versus what they actually need and it, it had like the had like the student's head was like taken off and like the knowledge was being like dumped into them by the teacher <laughs> and that's not how it works like teachers are more like coaches you know like we're we're yeah. trying to, we're, we we need to get kids to to learn how to do things on their own and how to motivate them on their own i love how you mentioned the cliche I learned from them more than they learned from me. I it's know. Like, <laughs> it sounds so fuzzy it's so, and stupid. It's so true, though, at the same time. You know, like, I've, I've learned so much true. From, like, from students in this, like, and, like, what, the, what their lives are like and what, like, you know, their real, their real world is like. The, the number one well, lesson was the things we made along the way. <laughs> I also find it's, uh, it's true, though, because I learn from my students and I ask them questions and I'm like, does this work for you? Do I need to do – what would you do differently? Or, like, what did you like? Yeah, what you did do. you didn't like? And I do it on mm-hmm. purpose because, like, I, it really, like, that's helping me to be a better teacher. And some yeah. years it works with certain groups of kids and other years other groups of kids. So, like, I have to keep changing things. Like, yeah. like I don't always teach the same as I did last year as I did to this class because the class might be different. And Mm -hmm. even sometimes, like, what works in, you know, block A's class isn't working in block B's class Mm -hmm. or C's class. So I have to change the way I dispense the knowledge or a little bit of how I do things. Um, I do wish as a teacher, though, that our kids would realize that our job isn't just to dispense knowledge and then to just record it and memorize it. That that we're trying to teach them how to learn and that they need to start to take some more initiative on their own about learning because I would love to do more inquiry based projects and stuff, but that requires students to be motivated to want to learn and right. like mm-hmm. in and do the work and like read the stuff and not just look for an answer. And I'm, and that's been one of my big, you know, things that I would like to see more of my little cherubs. Yeah. That's definitely, <laughs> that's definitely so for years and years has been going on. That's why, Miss Levin. That's a great question. I wonder when we when we do our our um, our meeting with this year's seniors. I wonder if we, if we could ask them like what they think about that. You know, the, this year's twelfth graders that went to the Maddie. You know, like how did they think they've improved in their own like learning styles or educations while they're in high school? I don't know. Something that maybe just just a question that we can ask them. Last question on the list is from Lily. Um. And so imagine I'm going to, I'm going to kind of alter it a little bit for the premise. So imagine if um, schools all shut down tomorrow, what are you going to do for a job? Mrs. Levitt. <laughs> if schools <laughs> shut down tomorrow, what's Ms. Levitt going to do? First, what's the first job you apply to tomorrow? I'm actually going to go open a bread and breakfast. I'm, I'm out of the rat race and I'm going to just be my own boss in a quiet like place. I love it. 
I like it. Mr. Jaffe, what are you doing? I, I want to work outside. I want to do landscaping. I want to plant things. I don't want to be a farmer, but I like to like arrange people's houses to make them look really nice with flowers and shrubs and and that kind of thing. Who, yes, who knew Mr. Jaffe. Jaffe had a green? Who knew Mr. Jaffe had a green thumb? Yeah. I felt like yeah, a farmer. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've got the tomatoes. I have this, in. like I have this like weedy patch in like the corner of my yard, and I like dug it all up, <laughs> and I put down some topsoil, and I, and I and I put down some fertilizer and some grass seed, and I was out there like raking it up. I'm like, I feel like a farmer right now. I'm, I'm farming in this. <laughs> a farmer in Everett. Miss Miss I know someone well, was, who, uh, who who did the bread uh, bed and breakfast. It's a tough job. Oh yeah. I, it's, I, it's I know. not easy. Yeah, and I and I, I sit and I, he, I I always hem and haw over it, but also I think I guess is anything easy? I find no. all jobs hard. Even when I worked in a supermarket as a kid, and I was scanning groceries for people, it was a tough job. It hurt my feet and it was boring. <laughs> and got monotonous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Waiting tables was a tough job. I mean, it paid well, yeah. but it was a tough job i loved it but it was a tough job everything's <laughs> tough in its own way and that's why I, that's why i tell kids like that's why you get paid for it you know like if it yeah. was easy they wouldn't pay you for it <laughs> if you're looking for something cushy cushy um it's then you're not working <laughs> right. you know, that's why like so many kids are like oh i want to be a youtuber you know i'm just going to be i'm going to make tiktoks like well congratulations like there's a handful of people in the world that can do that um if you're not one of them well Good luck to you. Um, obviously, oh, uh, Miss Mary, did we ask you what are you doing tomorrow if 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 all the schools closed down? <laughs> I'm gonna be the lead singer in a band and go on tour and say goodbye to everybody. <laughs> you can do that. Sing, Miss Mara. Do you have a? No, you can't make any money now because you're not allowed to have concerts. <laughs> I know, I, right? I, it would be like the worst time to take that up. <laughs> do you sing, Miss Mara? I have I have an okay I I can carry a tune yeah I'm okay. Not, wait till the eighth grade team karaoke night and we'll find out. Yes, you'll have to wait and see. You'll have to wait and see. I'm not karaokeing. I can't carry a tune worth. It's <laughs> wait and stop or whatever. Jaffe, what were you gonna say? Oh, can someone since I'm I'm the old guy here? What's an what's a influencer? What do they do? And do they make money? <laughs> influence people. <laughs> The influence, how, it, like influence. Yeah, them how do we describe it though? TikTok? Yeah, it's it's just somebody that's really popular on social media. So like they call them influencers because so many kids follow them, and they basically do kind of shape pop culture amongst our like young population, and sometimes our adult population too. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about people with like and, hundreds and they, of thousands of followers, like in the even in the millions, YouTubers and yeah. people, especially on YouTube because. You know, it's, if you get if you have a million followers and you're getting millions of views on, that's a lot of advertising revenue. It's a lot of eyeballs. So they're so they're they're advertising something, like a, pretty a, much a, yeah. like a, a, okay. Well, not really. Like I don't know. It could be, for example, the, the things Eden watches are just people being funny and like making jokes. But because so many people watch them, they get advertisers yeah. to you know pay for stuff or send them stuff. The it's been the what the the people that have been able to monetize it and you know have the advertisements come on because of their content, which and you know they, another and, and, another way of why our civilization has so, fallen into the into the pit of despair. Yeah, I would right. say the same thing, Mr. McGowan. That's another a notch downward. I think. I consider myself to be an influencer in some ways. You know, I have. I have a couple hundred followers on my on my social media accounts. I'm, I'm influencing many dozens of people on a on a daily basis. Well, on a monthly basis when I actually post something. Oh, by the way, um, if if schools if, if if schools close today, obviously I'm breaking down the door of 98.5 The Sports Hub tomorrow to be their next their next morning radio radio talk show. <laughs> be Toucher and, be cool. Toucher and Rich and McGowan, and we'll <laughs> I'll jump on in their booth. All right, so great questions about teaching from Dennis, Trinity, and Lily. We got a few more that we can get to next week, and I'll be posting some a new assignment over the weekend to get a few more questions come up. Hopefully, Justin, Justin D. and so and Maria Clara had some good ones that we haven't gotten to yet. Anthony has a good one. Alyssa, Zeta, Nicole. Some some people have 
I have on the list that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, last thing, thing for today, let's finish up with our idiom for periods C and D. Today's idiom is high off the hog. I love this phrase, high off the hog. That's and a good high one. I don't, yeah, I'm interested in, with the derivation high of that. High off the is. hog? To live high off the hog. So meaning is that means to live in the hog. So here, here's where it comes from. So originally the phrase referred literally a cut of meat found on a pig's upper flanks. This was the best cut of meat. Oh, got it. Gotcha. Eventually the phrase came to mean the best of anything. Like my example sentence is, when he drove off the lot in the most expensive car in the dealership, he felt like he was living high off the hog. So like to live in like the lap of, of, of luxury. Um, I would also say for me, um, the day when I, when I got that offer to stay at the Encore for free and in one of like the 27 suites, and I walked into that room and it is the most opulent hotel room I've ever seen. Not even like even more so than like at, at, at my wedding when we got to stay in the at the, the presidential suite at the at the Revere Hotel because my grandfather worked there, and by the way I stayed in that I stayed in the room the night after Arnold Schwarzenegger had stayed there. Fun fact. <laughs> well, that's a cool, cool fact. Very and, cool. Oh, fact. And, then, and a couple nights after I stayed there, my grandfather told me that Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, stayed in that same room. So if you doubt that I'm an influencer, there's your there's your answer right there. Um, there but you go. When I would when I walked into the 27th floor suite at the Encore, I felt like I was living high off the hog. Uh, <laughs> what do you think, Mr. Jaffe? Can you, can you think of a high off the hog sentence? Um. Yeah. Uh, many years. Yeah. This is so funny. Many. Well, not that funny, but uh, many years ago. I, I knew a, a firefighter, and he uh, he got me into the country club, which is a really exclusive golf uh, club, and I, I played some golf at the country club, and it felt like I was living high off the hog. I haven't That's been back ultimate. since. It's probably, it's probably about 30 years ago. Yeah, private golf courses. That's living high off the hog. The, it was a private the, golf the, course, and they let and they um, and they every year. I think that they, they, they uh, the town lets the police and fire departments play for free. So I knew a fire guy, and he let me. I, I played with. I went in with him. That's great, living. High, and it's it's always you know we, we always have to rely on those kind of things. Like for me, with my encore thing, was just happened to be like that I won like a contest or something, and like I remember years ago. <laughs> I got to sit in like a luxury box at Fenway for a game when Pedro Martinez oh. was pitching. I felt like I was living high off the hog. It was only because oh, like my dad. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, my dad's like childhood do they have friend. Like, do like do a they, big do they come with, with, with? Do they come over with yeah. food and all that? Yeah, they, oh. yeah, they have. The whole thing is like catered and people come in and out. And yeah, we, we, we were living high off the yeah. hog. Mrs. Yeah, um, can you think yeah. of a time when um, you were living high off the hog or people in general? Yes. Um, when I went to my brother's wedding, we stayed at the Biltmore in Miami, and I felt like I was um, living high off the hog or whatever. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was there, um, and yes, it was it was wonderful. <laughs> it's That's the great. high. It's like it's a very um, fancy hotel to say that it's. I swam in the same pool that Esther Williams swam in, and those movies oh about synchronized swimming were filmed. She it was, was in Coral was my, Gables, Lane. She was my grandmother's idol. My grandmother was a swimmer. And, she she was like obsessed with Esther Williams. Yeah, it was it was really cool, and it was just like, and while you were sitting there at the pool, like you got they brought you towels. They, they everything was served to you from breakfast to lunch to dinner. The bathrooms are the most beautiful bathrooms. I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> My nephew was so cute. <laughs> My girls too. They were like impressed. They were like, "Holy cow!" I'm like, "Yep, this one's in a lifetime." <laughs> You're no. living high off the hog right They're now. <laughs> of my kids like i when we went to that encore I, like we took a video of the wife walking in and just to see like michaela and jonathan's faces they oh, were their like, faces oh, I, I sent you guys that video yeah it was hilarious and jonathan was like, the one day, he goes i can see everything <laughs> <laughs> it was so excited it was, 
One more thing. Madeline, one time, this is funny for living high off the hog. Madeline was coming from her grandpa's um, wedding, and um, he was getting remarried. And he, we just had a little dinner at Maggiano's, and this is in um, Troy, Michigan, which is outside of Detroit. And um, they valet parked the cars, and we pulled up in our little view, um, um, our, our Saturn view. And the guy opens the door and lets her out, and she thought she was living high off the hog, and she thought that was the best thing, and that, that they opened the door for her, and, and that the waiter reported her water without her asking. <laughs> that she is still talks about it to this day. <laughs> She's like nine. I, yeah. <laughs> nice. Miss Mara, what do you want to do? Can you do your high off the hog sentence? Sure. Um, I think too many Americans try to live high off the hog when they like max out their credit cards without thinking about how they're going to repay them. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. she's got a little social yeah, there. Yeah, so much fun, very though. true. Very true. Yeah, people living high off the hog, just just kind buying living, like all kinds of expensive stuff that we can't they can't pay for. Kind of like the culture Keeping these up days with the in Joneses. a lot of people. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Gotta live, gotta live high off the hog. I keep up in appearance and keep up with the Joneses. All right, so that's your idiom is high off the hog. Your journal entry is about music and how does music affect your life and what role is music and about is life a symphony. Um, I don't have my dad joke book down here today, and unfortunately, I don't have my dad here to tell a joke. Which my dad's at work today, so I was gonna have my dad come tell a joke, but he's working today. Um, you guys, anything else? Twelve o'clock. Uh, today. Twelve o'clock. Kahoot! I sent everybody. Check your uh, classroom accounts. I checked it. I uh, sent everybody the link, and it's uh, we'll do a, a kahoot at, at noon. All right, sounds good. And for everyone else, make sure you you finish all your work today. Work is due today, except for if you have a journal entry. If you want to work on your journal and pass it in tomorrow, that's fine. Everything else is due today on Friday, and that's it. We'll talk to everybody. I'm heading down to Rhode Island in, in a little bit, so I'm going to cross state lines. So I'll be a bit of a fugitive. So if I end up in jail, <laughs> if we if I end up in jail, I'll use my one phone call to call into the podcast on Monday morning. They shame you with having Massachusetts plates. You're going to get shamed. I don't know. I, I, should, I should bring my birth certificate and say, I was born in, I was born in Providence. You know, I grew up in Massachusetts, but I was born in Rhode Island. You know, like I, I should have my birth certificate saying, like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a citizen of this state. As I feel That's like Donald right. Trump is going to show him his birth certificate. I'm gonna bring, I'll bring my long-form birth certificate, too, just in case they, um, they have any more questions. Anyway, for Ms. Lovett, Ms. Mara, and Mr. Jaffe, I'm Mr. McGowan. Let's close it out today with Mrs. Lovett's suggestion. It is a Friday, after all, and this is The Cure. <laughs>